book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. book of Ephesians, chapter 1. If the Lord will help us for the next uh, little bit on Sunday night, it's when it's my time to preach. I like to let these young boys preach some on Sunday night, but when it's my time to preach, I'm going to be preaching in the book of Ephesians. Strangest thing, I woke up this morning and with this phrase on my mind, emphasize Ephesians. I don't know if I dream something, I don't know. But I got up with that phrase on my mind. And uh, I said, well, Lord, if you'll give me a message, I'll preach tonight out of the book of Ephesians. Got to looking, sure enough, got a message. And uh, so I think the Lord's going to have us in the book of Ephesians here for a little while. Uh, the book of Ephesians stresses our inheritance, our riches through the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that you're richer than you think? You, boy, you sure are. I was uh, reading today about a lady. Her name was Hetty Green. She died in 1916. She was known as America's miser. In other words, she's probably the biggest tightwad that ever lived. When she died, she had an estate valued at over $100 million in 1916. But did you know she always ate cold oatmeal because she wouldn't pay the, the price to warm oatmeal? She had a son whose leg had to be amputated because she wouldn't pay the doctor and wouldn't pay for the medicine to treat her son's infection in his leg. She's that tight. And they say, I read today, they say that she died from a heart attack that was brought on over her arguing with someone over the value of skim milk. <laughs> That's how she died, went out in eternity. She's worth millions of dollars and lived like a pauper. You know, I had a, uh, I had a member of my family, my Uncle Ben, same way. Ben died, I don't know, his estate was worth millions of dollars. He was a good man, great guy. Estate worth millions of dollars. But he had coffee cans sitting all over his house to catch the rainwater that was leaking in through the roof because he was too tight to have his, to have his roof fixed. Miserly. We can all look at those kind of people and shake our head and think, Lord, have mercy. What is wrong with them? But you know, in a lot of ways, we live that way. Because you and I have riches in the Lord Jesus Christ and yet we live most of the time way below our birthright. So I want to take a, a few weeks here and try to talk to us a little bit about just how rich we are spiritually. And it ought to make every one of us smile, amen? Because spiritual riches, think of this, you could be a millionaire tonight, but when you die, what good does that do? Absolutely none. It does no good. You take it and don't take it with you. Somebody else, and this is almost unsettling for me to think about. Somebody else will live in my house one day besides me. Because I'll die and the house will still be there. One of these days, somebody else will drive my vehicle. Somebody else will spend whatever money I leave. It's not going to be a lot, but whatever money I leave, somebody else will spend it. But spiritual wealth last forever that's the reason the lord said lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Boy, that's important, isn't it? Let's read the first six verses here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you in peace from our God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the blood. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that you'd bless us and help us tonight. God, I pray, Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to us and through us, Lord, about your riches. Get thing about what all we got the day that we got saved, the day that we got born again. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just bless us, God, tonight. Think on these things. We'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want us to look tonight a little bit on the blessedness of being in Christ. That's what the first chapter of the book of Ephesians is. I'm probably going to preach three messages right here on the blessedness of being in Christ. This theme, in Christ, is mentioned again and again throughout Paul's writings. And it is the greatest blessing that anyone has ever had. And that is to be put in Christ. So I want to look about that blessedness of being in Christ for a little while tonight. Now, there's some hard verses. Verse 4 almost unsettles us in this day. There's so many Baptists that are closet Calvinists that it's just absolutely unreal. You get talking to uh, so many Baptists, you'll find out they believe a Calvinistic doctrine. And right here in Ephesians chapter number 1, there is a presentation of this idea of the doctrine of election. Can I say to you that the doctrine of election tonight is a real Bible doctrine? I thank God for it. You'd have to be, you'd have to be crazy to say that uh, there's no doctrine of election in the Word of God because there's uh, verse after verse that deal with the elect. But the problem is the way that it's interpreted. That there is a doctrine of election, that, but it's not like the Calvinist says uh, Now, we'll look tonight, first of all, here at the appointment that we have in Christ. It was predetermined that we see here. Look at verse number 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. Now, look at what God has done. He chose you. That's one thing. The thing about God choosing you, you're living your life. God sees you, decides to put out a hand of grace towards you and choose you. But that's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that he has chosen us in him from the foundation of the world. So before I even had a chance to do anything about it, God had already chosen me. Now, it's easy to see how you'll get this thinking of this Calvinistic doctrine. But I'm going to tell you that the thinking of the Calvinist, and that is that some people were born to go to heaven and some people were born to go to hell. That can't be true because if, that true, if that's true, then God's a liar 
because God said that he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if God wills for some people to go to hell, then that makes God a liar. And so we know that can't be true. And I don't believe the God of the Calvinists. The God of the Calvinists, here's kind of how the Calvinist believes. The God of the Calvinists, if I had a, a sign out next to a pond that said no swimming, and uh, there was three boys that got in that pond and went out there and went to swimming, and I saw they was beginning to drown. I could say, well, them boys had, they ought to know better, put up that sign, no swimming. They ought to know better than been out there and drowned, but I hate to see them drowned. I, so I swim out, and I save two of them boys, but I leave one of them to drown. Now, what would you think about me? You'd say, well, that's not very kind. How could you have made that decision? How did you make up your mind like that? Well, that's the God of Calvinism. That's how the Calvinists believe God uh, makes up his mind, and it simply is not so. Uh, uh, but there is this thing uh, of election. I read one man, uh, Brother Wearsby, he said that if this is a family secret, he said it's kind of like this. If there's a lot of people walking by a door and they're all heading off into hell and above that door says whosoever will. Out in front of that door is a man saying, why don't you come and be saved? Come and be saved. And occasionally there's one that will come by and he'll talk to them and, and they'll get saved and they'll walk in through that door uh, toward heaven, that door that says whosoever will. But when you get on the other side of that door, across the door, it says chosen in Christ. You think about that, that's a pretty good way to put it. You walk through the door of whosoever will and you immediately at that moment become the elect, the chosen in Christ. Now, how is it that that can be? I, I read one man today that said the doctrine of election has confused some and confounded all. Amen. It's hard to understand. Hard to put a mind around. Let me give it to you like this. Here's why I believe that people struggle with this doctrine of election. And that is that they want to they think about God the way they think about us. Can I say to you that God is not, I mean, I understand we're recreated in God's image, but God's not like us. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are above our knowing. But think about it like this. Every one of us live in a certain period in time. How we're living right now on a Sunday evening in September in 2021. Every second that goes by is a now in our life. When I started preaching this message, that was then. That was the past. There's nothing I can do to go back to the beginning of this message and start over. When I get done with this message here in a little while, that'll be in the future. There's nothing I can do as much as some of you'd like to right now. There's no fast forward button to get to the end of this message. Amen. You've got to suffer through it second at a time like everybody else. But it's tick-tock, tick-tock, and we're confined. You and I are confined by living in the moment that we're living in. And so that's how we think about God. We think that God somehow is confined in the moment in which he lives. And I say to you that God is not confined by time or space. God can live in the future. God can, if this is a timeline here, God can live in the future. He can live in the present. He exists in the past. And he travels the timeline of man without any effort. He don't have to make any effort. So way back yonder, in the eons of time, before the foundation of the world, 
God knew way back yonder he could see across, he could see across the timeline, and he knew that man was going to fall. He knew that his son was going to have to die at Calvary. He could see all that. He's lived in all that space in eternity. He could see. Matter of fact, he could look way down yonder. He didn't even have to look. He can travel it. And he can walk this timeline and live in it and see it. And he could travel that timeline way back yonder uh, uh, in the 1980s when I give my heart to Jesus uh, there at the Laurel Branch Baptist Church. He was able to see me doing that and then go way back here in eternity past uh, and say, I seen Bradley make a decision for me. He's a part of the elect uh, from the foundations of the world. He's not confined by time. Uh, He could see me. That didn't mean God made me get saved. Uh, I think we all agree that we first have to be chosen in Christ, have to be called of God. I believe, But I believe all men get called. The Bible said the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. So way back on in eternity past, God was able to see that morning when I knelt in my, I knelt in the altar uh, and I asked God that he was able to see that way back yonder uh, and I became a part of the elect. But it was still my decision to make. You see, man has a free will. I still was the one to make the decision. Now, I'm going to tell you that some of this crowd these days, uh, they went so crazy in this Calvinist doctrine uh, that they don't even believe in handing out gospel tracts anymore. They think whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. Whoever's going to be lost is going to be lost. Why would you even have church if that's the way you believe? Quit having church. Quit having church. Why would you even, why would you even have preaching if that's the way it is? I'm going to tell you today that's not how it is. Uh, God was able to look down through the eons of time, see the moment that I got saved, and so I became a part of the elect uh, on that day, that day that I got saved. Like one black preacher said this. He said, the uh, way it is is this. He said, I vo- uh, he said God voted for me. Uh, the devil voted against me. And I got to cast the winning vote. Amen. And that's how the election happened. That, that's exactly right. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Uh, the devil don't want any to go to heaven. But guess who gets the deciding vote? That would be us. Amen. And so if a man dies and goes to hell, uh, it'll be his own fault. He won't be able to look at God and say, God, I didn't have a chance because I wasn't part of the elect. Oh, no. Every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born uh, has got a chance to be saved by the marvelous grace of God. But you and I that are saved, we're in on a family secret. And that is that we are the elect from the foundation of the world. That's the doctrine in a nutshell. That is the doctrine, uh, that is the doctrine of, ele- of election. It has to do with the predetermination, but that predetermination was made by God's foreknowledge and being able to see us getting saved. I say glory to God for that. But then, not only is there a predestination or a predetermination, but then we see the purpose as why we're chosen Christ. Look at this. That we, verse 4, according that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Why did he choose us? The reason that he chose us was to make us holy and without blame. Aren't you glad one of these days we're going to have Mark walk to last aisle and confess our last sin in the altar? Amen. The whole reason for the redemption of mankind and for Jesus and his son was to make us holy and uh, spotless and blameless before him. See, every man, every man is a sinner before God. 
But because of this predetermination, because of this doctrine of election, because of the fact that we've been appointed in Christ, the day that I got saved, I got the ability to be holy. I'm not going to rehash that. That's what I preached the whole message on this morning. But just simply to say, ain't it a blessing that is sorry and filthy and rotten as we are that God has given us an opportunity to have an eternal standing before him that is spotless and clean and holy and righteous. I tell you, it's a great thing. That's part of our riches in Christ is that we've been able to do that. So we see that we have an, a, a, we've been appointed. We have been appointed in Christ. I hope I didn't confuse you. It's, it is a hard doctrine to understand. Doctrine of election is hard to wrap your mind around because we think in finite terms. An eternity for us, let me put it this way, an eternity for man is 90 years. That's really about 